Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Friday, February 3rd. Good morning, and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. On the memorial of St. Blaise, Bishop, and Martyr, I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's great to be with you early this morning as we get ready for the very first weekend of February. On this first Friday, let's remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, today uh, is also the memorial of St. Blaise, Bishop and Martyr. He was the Bishop of Sebast in Armenia and was martyred under Licinius around the year 3. 16 AD. St. Blaise enjoyed a widespread veneration in both the Eastern and the Western churches uh, due to the many cures attributed to him. On this day, traditionally, St. Blaise is invoked uh, during the blessing of every disease of the throat and every other illness. So if you can make it to Mass, uh, get uh, your uh, throat uh, blessed. I want to bring in our morning air team, as always, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that you are keeping an eye on making headlines here on this Friday morning. Well, guys, we start with a history lesson back uh, in 1982. Larry Walters, known as Lawn Chair Larry, tied 45 helium balloons to a lawn chair over Southern California and ended up having a 45-minute fl- flight getting to 16,000 feet, uh, interrupting some air uh, traffic down there as well. This is not that, but there's a Chinese balloon said to be a spy balloon that's made its way all the way into the uh, northern central U.S. over Montana, currently not far from a field of U.S. missile silos in the Pentagon, wondering what to do about that, whether to to shoot it down, but would that leave some dangerous things falling on the populace below, or how to take that out? Uh, Kind of interesting. I'm not sure it can see more than, say, Chinese spy satellites can, but uh, kind of a a, a unique little twist in the, the crazy world we're living in, guys. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a super interesting story. Uh, this balloon, uh, officials have been tracking it uh, for days, and uh, it is somewhere over Montana. And uh, ironically, that is exactly where th- our country has uh, many uh, nuclear sites. Uh, so uh, uh, it is, uh, it's just, it's a crazy situation. But, uh, you know, they, they, they feel like uh, they have to be cautious because it is too dangerous to, to shoot it down. Who knows uh, exactly what is uh, attached to it? There's, there's some, um, stuff hanging from the bottom of the balloon. So if it were to land on somebody, uh, it could cause a lot of damage. Although it's over one of the, you know, least densely populated parts of North America. So, yeah, it's Maybe. interesting. I, I would bet there's uh, some hesitation because it's Chinese as well to, to take it down and not cause too much of an incident. But being it's over U.S. airspace, you know, kind of makes it a little bit of fair game. Uh, it's high enough to be above any commercial airliner traffic, said to be in the, say, 60,000 foot range where uh, air traffic is normally, you know, 30, 32, 36,000 feet. 
somewhere in there. But, well, maybe uh, if they're looking for something of interest, uh, wherever it's hovering, they can give some put some giant signs out and kind of give it directions. You know, a little bit more this way, you can see the Mount Rushmore, and a little bit more this way, you can see, <laughs> you know, all of the wonderful things. Yellowstone, you know, there's so many things over there that they could be looking at and taking pictures of to send back home. I mean, we need to showcase the best of America, not just the parts of Montana where no one's hanging out. Come on. Yeah, you know, and to, to be nice, I just think of that that poor little Chinese kid at his birthday party who lost his balloon, <laughs> and now it's an international incident. Oh, yeah. buddy. Well, uh, meanwhile, uh, the countdown to Super Bowl 57 continues. A week from uh, this Sunday as uh, the Eagles and Chiefs uh, square off. Uh, Travis and Jason uh, Kelsey are making history, um, but it's these will be the first brothers to actually play play uh, each other in the Super Bowl, but it's uh, Jason's wife, um, Kyrie, that is uh, uh, bringing a little bit of a history of her own. She's bringing her OBGYN to the Super Bowl because by then she will be 38 weeks uh, pregnant. So a, a baby is on its way. <laughs> She's still got a couple of weeks, but you know what? You never know when that baby's going to come, could come early. So I don't blame her. Hey, it's going to be a high stressful situation that can always trigger something. And, you know, in any movie or television show, it's always at that peak moment. You're in an elevator or someplace where there, you never should be having a baby that the water breaks. So you never know if this is what's going to happen in the situation. Yeah. Can you imagine uh, if uh, it were to happen, you know, fourth quarter, you know, a minute to go a tie game. And all of a sudden, the baby wants to come out. <laughs> well, how handy, though, to be able to have your own OBGYN in the last weeks of a pregnancy. Would you have liked that, Sarah, walking oh. around with uh, that person by your side? You know what? I guess it can be comforting, yes, to have just in case something happens. But also, sometimes they're very attentive, maybe a little bit too attentive. Maybe you want a little distance from them, making sure that you're having the right foods and you're doing the right amount of exercise and not exerting yourself. I, I don't know if I'd like a babysitter. So I, I probably too many things I'm not. <laughs> supposed to be doing because <laughs> I still have things to do. I, I'm a woman on the move, so I don't know if it would be as helpful as uh, you might think, but I'm sure it'll be great for her because this is going to be a very unique situation. Well, uh, Kylie will be in the news uh, for days to come uh, uh, with the big media week, the traditional Super Bowl media week uh, coming up uh, uh, this uh, upcoming week in anticipation of the big game. Uh, meanwhile, uh, weather is in the news. I know we got a taste of it here in the Midwest, but nothing like our friends in New England are uh, going through, uh, Glenn. Yeah, some very cold weather for New England, uh, shutting down schools in Boston and more. Uh, they could hit uh, 60 below with the wind chill, but uh, definitely 30 to 45 below wind chill across much of New England uh, in uh, northern Maine, minus 60. Uh, and the northern tier of states really getting it, too, in the upper Midwest here uh, in Minnesota this morning. We're at minus 16, not minus 17 now. It's gone down 2 degrees since uh, we first started talking off the air a little bit before the top of the hour, guys, with the wind chill in the uh, minus 30 to minus 35 range. Doesn't make national news because it happens more often, but coming into some of the uh, the coldest weather of the year here as well. Oh, it's just a measly 1 degree here in the Chicago. Calgary, so not, not balmy, so bad. Balmy. Your, your yeah. palm trees are waving there, probably. Huh? <laughs> exactly. But they're going to close the schools in Boston, so uh, kids won't will have a uh, a snow day, even though the, the snow is not the issue, but the cold. Well, I'm shocked that it's it's gone down a few degrees because there's been a lot of hot air blowing around right here on the airwaves just in the last couple of minutes. That's pretty shocking. But you know what? Hey, stay indoors if you, if you can because it is a bluster, blustery out there. That's for sure. 
All right, we like a hot air in the morning. Thanks, as always, <laughs> uh, Sarah and Glenn. First things first, we always start uh, every program here, every morning air in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Of course, you can always find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. You can send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. And if you want to be part of the program this morning, the number is 888-914-9149. Now, as you know, Valentine's Day is right around the corner, coming up on February 14th, which is a Tuesday. Now, if you go into any local pharmacy anywhere in the country, there is a ton of Valentine's Day cards and red heart-shaped candies and all kinds of Valentine's stuff. But uh, what does our faith and our blessed Lord Jesus have to say about the heart? Joining us live from downtown Manhattan in New York City is Morning Air contributor, Redentorist Father Bob Pagliari, uh, to talk about uh, where is our Valentine's heart. Father Bob is a professor of theology and communications at St. John's University. He also writes a monthly online column called Holy Homework uh, for thegoodnewsroom.org, formerly the Catholic New York, the newspaper of the Archdiocese of New York. Good morning, Father Bob. Thanks so much for joining us once again. It's great to be with you. Happy First Friday. Thank you, John. Uh, good morning to you and to Glenn and to Sarah and to all of our listeners. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to be here. I can't imagine what a baby would say or a young person would say, well, I was born during the Super Bowl. That might be uh, an interesting tag to carry around for the rest of your life. But these 60, 60 degrees below winds, uh, you know, this could drive some of our rodents down into the subways. So not always a bad thing. If you look at the positive part of things. but uh, And you're not talking about Puxatani Phil. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the heart, since uh, that seems to be the symbol of, of Valentine's hearts. Uh, when I was down in uh, talking, actually, to over 800 middle school children uh, earlier in January, uh, and may I say, very well-disciplined children. They were all in Catholic, five different Catholic schools that I visited there. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> there was a plethora of hearts, even like around Christmas time it starts, okay? I mean, they, these people who are pushing this can't get enough and can't get it in early enough. But I, it made me think about what, what the, the Bible says, of course, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, where you're treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And so I started to ask myself, where is our treasure? Because that's where our heart is. And, uh, you know, Christ said that, and, and we certainly believe that. But I wonder how often we actually look at Valentine's uh, hearts and ask ourselves, where is my treasure? 
because that's what I'm going to go after, and, and that's where my heart is. So I think that's a wonderful question that we should be asking ourselves. I did a little research, as you know. Uh, our heart is in four chambers. We have four chambers in our heart, our human heart. And so I'm thinking to myself, for holy homework, if I can start there instead of ending there, uh, what would be the four names if you were to draw a heart and, uh, on, and post it in your in your room somewhere or in your home somewhere where you could see it for the month of February, what would be the four names, or if you will, the four things that you treasure most? I think that's a really good exercise. It's little by little. This is the same thing I said to the children, to the, to the middle schoolers, when I was talking to them in, in, in January. I said, you know, little by little. And, and here's the key, John. Here's the key, Glenn. And here's the key, Sarah. I'm sure that you'll agree. People don't lose their faith all of a sudden. It's little by little by little. I can remember when I was an associate pastor in Florida, in Orlando, people telling me, you, Father, you have no idea what the chaos that goes on in the car coming to Mass, okay, where the kids are, again, about middle and school age, maybe a little older. Why are we going? Uh, this is boring. I don't get anything out of it. Okay, so all, all of the uh, uh, negative parts of what well, little kids would have or middle class kids would have. Why are they doing this? There's a physiological reason, first of all, we have to be aware of as adults. And that is when you get into middle school, your brain moves from thinking concretely, black and white thinking, to what's called metacognition, meaning uh, thinking about thinking. So this is the first time, really, that their brains are developed enough where they're thinking about concepts like being and is, does God really exist, okay? And if so, why and, and how? And so those kinds of concepts, really, prior to middle school, they really don't have the, the brain power, if you will, to, or brain development, I should say, to actually grasp what that means. But when you start thinking about thinking, then you are talking about metaphysics, really. Uh, and so this is, we shouldn't be surprised, really, that kids would start to question things at this age. Now, it doesn't help, of course, if, if the only answer that we have as parents is because I said so. That doesn't really work after, I don't think, after age 10 or so. Uh, it, it just doesn't. I remember my nephew, Tom, when he, he had three kids. And he said, uh, well, I tell them because it doesn't work when I say, uh, I, because I said so, so I just tell them because, because I'm bigger than you are. And that, that works until they grow into, you know, six feet towering above you and your wife. And so now you're no longer bigger than they are. So uh, I'm already them. experiencing that, uh, Father Bob. My, my kid is uh, f almost five inches taller than I am, and I, I look up to him, but he still calls me daddy. <laughs> well, and good, I'm glad. I'm glad, but you cannot use this line, well, I'm bigger because I'm bigger than you are. And and the, we have to actually meet them where they're at, okay, where their brain developed at this. I tell them, and this is, if, I, if you don't mind me giving a little push for holy homework, when you're doing homework, when you're in the field, when you're practicing baseball or soccer or swimming uh, or if you're in the band, if you're if you're practicing an instrument that you play in the band, all of those are called practice, but really they're homework. That's really what they are. 
So we have homework, and I ask the kids, what is homework? Well, that's work that you we learned in school. We have to come, come home and keep practicing it. I said, that's exactly right. We do that for, for academics. We do that for music. We do that for sports. Why don't we do that for our soul? for our spiritual life. That's a Why great lesson. Great lesson. Yeah, I loved your article. It, it really got my Thank attention. Uh, where is our Valentine heart, uh, Father Bob? And uh, I was curious. I was just, I would love to have been in that room uh, with all those 800 plus kids uh, to see how they reacted uh, to you, uh, trying to explain to these uh, youngsters uh, about how to stay Catholic when they get older. Exactly. And the three things I told them right off the bat, of course, was finish high school. I say this to middle schoolers because by the time you get into 10th grade or 11th grade, if if they're in with the wrong crowd, what they're going to see is and what they're going to say is, I can make more money uh, leaving school. I don't need to, you know, school, school is boring. It can, you know, those, the same arguments that mass <laughs> that carries over into their teachers. So why should I stay in school? And I and there's so many successful people. There really aren't that many successful people, actually. Uh, but they say that, you know, who, who are, you know, actors and actresses and singers and, and pop stars who never finished high school. No, that's actually not true. Okay, number one. Number two, finish high school. Number two, um, get a job, a legitimate paying job. Okay. And number three, uh, don't have children until you're married. So that's that. I tell this to middle school children, as I said in my article. I met with the principal and the pastor first, and I said, "Look, this is what I'm going to say. So we're all on the same page. Are we all okay with this?" And they said, "Absolutely. These kids need to hear this." Okay. I didn't talk about alcohol. I didn't talk about guns or weapons. But if I'm invited back, I will talk about those too. <laughs> yeah, this is not controversial no stuff. This is just a basic <laughs> common sense advice that you gave uh, the kids. Exactly. In the final moments here, the, uh, Father, that we have, yeah. um, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the treasures uh, that uh, people uh, put as number one in their lives instead of making our Lord our main treasure? I love the, that verse you used, uh, where your treasure is. Um, there also will be your heart. Uh, Jesus wants our heart, not just us going through the motions. I can answer that, uh, John. Thank you. It's a wonderful question uh, from my college students. Uh, they are no, no embarrassment, no embarrassment at all. They will say to me, my cell phone. I mean, when I go in the classroom and I say to you, okay, please don't silence, don't put your phone on vibrate, turn it off. There actually is an off button on your cell phone. And they become apoplectic, like, oh, my goodness, what are you asking me? Well, I'm not asking you to cut off your arm or your hand. I'm, I'm asking you to turn off your phone. They really, uh, that is their treasure, and that is their heart. It really is. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that in terms of safety, in terms of communication, in terms of being connected to parents and the family. That's wonderful. But I think it also can be a hindrance. If that's your only heart, if that's your only treasure, above and beyond, as you said, God, then you know, really, where is technology taking us? And I think we have to be very, very careful about that. That's, that would be my answer, that I think today our kids are looking to technology and science rather than to faith. And it's little by little, little by little. Father Baba, are you a Giants fan? <laughs> or Jets? <laughs> or neither? <laughs> <laughs> or neither or both, yeah. I'm, I'm from 
you're the winning team, John. All right. The, the reason I ask is I'm a Bears fan, but you know what? I appreciate oh, okay. Vince Lombardi, the great Vince Lombardi, uh, right. Green Bay Packers coach. He used to say, God, family, Green Bay Packers. And I, I think that that is <laughs> so that applicable order. to everyday life. You know, the Lord, our family, and then whatever it is that we do for a living, our, our vocation or profession. And I think if kids could learn that lesson from uh, a football coach, uh, that'd be a good thing. It would be. And, uh, well, what can I tell you about the Subway Series, right? When when the Yankees play the Mets, it, <laughs> some people who are not New Yorkers say the only good thing about that is that one of the New York teams is going to lose. <laughs> so obviously they're not they're not fans at all. Oh, we only dream about a Subway Series here in the Windy City, yeah, Cubs and White Sox. This town would explode if that ever happened. Um, I guess so. Father, real quick, uh, again, the reminder for the holy homework here for the month of February. And please, uh, take a red magic marker or a red crayon or red pencil, make a heart on a piece of white paper and draw it into four chambers and write down what are the four treasures that you have most because those are going to be your heart and put that where you can see it all during the month of February. I love it. No pun intended. Thanks so much, (laughs) Father Bob. Really appreciate it. Father Bob Pagliari, a columnist for thegoodnewsroom.org, formerly the Catholic New York, as well as a regular contributor to Morning Air. We need to take a short break. When uh, we come back, a Catholic mom and writer, Danielle Beam, uh, the host of uh, the Girlfriends podcast, will explain why a nightly routine for parents is a good thing. So stay with us on this Friday. There's much more to come as Morning Air continues. Like a big-eyed girl to make me act so funny Make me spend my money Make me feel real loose Like a long-necked goose Like a girl Oh, baby, that's what I like What's that, baby? Well, you're gonna miss me Early in the morning One of these days And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for tuning in and being with us on this first Friday morning, uh, the Memorial of St. Blaise. I'm glad you could join us here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Matthew 7:21. Our blessed Lord Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear what really counts in the Lord's eyes is our actions, our works, not just our words. We can say that we follow Christ and even believe in Christ, but do we do God's will? Do we try to seek God's will is the question. Saying, Lord, Lord, is just not enough to gain eternal life. We must have a conversion of heart and seek to do God's will. And then, just like Nike, just do it. And so we always pray with great confidence uh, that uh, beautiful prayer that uh, Drew praise in the afternoon from the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. Now I want to talk about uh, something that uh, I think is uh, relevant to all the moms and dads out there. Uh, parents, you probably have a nightly routine uh, pretty much set uh, for your 
children, uh, for your kids. But uh, what about a nighttime routine for you, uh, mom and dad? Do you follow one or do you fall asleep on the couch watching some mindless uh, TV show? <laughs> My routine, I can tell you firsthand, uh, starts really, really early. I get up at 3.45 a.m. Central Time just so that I can be with you uh, to talk about uh, morning routines here on the show. Just kidding. Uh, now, why is it important to have a nightly routine and uh, make sure that you get enough sleep? I recently spoke to Morning Air contributor Danielle Beam uh, to share some insights on uh, how a solid nighttime routine can set us up for success the next day. Danielle is a writer, a mother of eight children, so she knows uh, really firsthand what she's talking about. She's the creator and host of the Girlfriends podcast and the co-host of The Gist on Catholic TV. Here's my conversation with Danielle Bean. Good morning, Danielle. Thanks so much uh, for joining us once again. It is great to be with you. Oh, I always enjoy our conversations. Thrilled to be here. Well, this is one that definitely got my attention because, like I mentioned, I, I, uh, I have a little different routine because I'm up at 3.45 every morning to get ready yeah. to do this show. So, you know, you talk <laughs> about routines and discipline. That, that, I think the good Lord has been working on me since I took over and started hosting this show. But I think it's important for all parents to, to have a routine. Uh, now, you, as a mom, you obviously, with, with eight children, you've got to have a routine for them. But what about yourself? Right. Yeah, I think this is the, the area that people tend to neglect, and I know I did this for many years when my children were young. I didn't have a set routine or a set bedtime, and because that was like my free time, my precious little bit of free time after the kids had gone to bed. So I didn't stick to a very good schedule with regard to bedtime. So it does require discipline, uh, but the payoffs uh, are, are so, so very worth it because it's better for your health. It's better for your moods. You get better sleep when you're on a regular routine. You get better sleep when you prepare yourself for sleep by beginning a winding down routine that doesn't involve doom scrolling on your phone or falling asleep in front of the television. All of these things are small ways that you can take better care of yourself. And we as moms and dads, we, we sometimes forget that to take care of ourselves is to care for our families. If you want to be there for your family physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, then you need to be taking care of yourself. And sleep accounts for a lot of different factors that add up to good health. Want to invite our early bird listeners with us this morning. Uh, if you have a, a nighttime routine uh, that works, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're taking your calls for Danielle Bean, the host of the Girlfriends podcast and uh, co-host of uh, Catholic TV, uh, the program The Gist. Is, so you can be part of our discussion here this morning, 888-914-9149, if you want to chime in. Um, Danielle, um, how does having uh, a disciplined nightly routine really uh, help you uh, get ready uh, mentally and, uh, and physically for the next day? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, physically, you know, we always hear that age-old advice, like, you know, planning the clothing you're going to wear, setting out the, the book that you might need in the morning or your work papers or things for your children or making lunches ahead of time. Like these things really make for smooth mornings the next day, a much better start to your day. But even more than that, just psychologically, if you're going through a routine that you go through every night before you go to bed, it helps to prepare you to get a good night's sleep. So it might be the physical routine of um, washing your face or brushing your teeth or taking a shower or whatever your nighttime cleaning routine is. But I think it should also involve 
some kind of a quiet activity, whether it's sitting and um, having a, a cup of herbal tea or talking with your spouse or connecting with your children or um, especially a prayer time, you need to have something that's going to quiet you, something that's not a digital screen in your face that stimulates you in all the wrong ways before you're going to go to bed. But having those, those steps in place not only physically prepares you for the next day and puts things into place as you're going to bed and helps you to psychologically quiet down, it really does induce a much better night's sleep. Studies back this up. So if you want to be getting better sleep, if you find yourself restless at night, look at some of your routines, the things you're doing right before you go to bed, that last hour hours or an hour and a half before you're lying down and trying to sleep and and see if maybe changing some of those habits might help to influence your sleep habits. Well, I'm checking off the boxes as you're describing uh, these different routines. Uh, <laughs> it, this is all really practical stuff. And, uh, you know, I, sure. here in this new year, I, uh, I made a, a commitment to myself to, to uh, spend a few uh, quiet moments before I turn off the light uh, and go to bed earlier than most folks. Uh, but just uh, a few moments uh, in prayer and also doing some spiritual reading. So I decided to pick up uh, the imitation of Christ, which is a classic, and you know, just right. one little pe- one little chapter yeah, little every snippet. night, just <laughs> enough to quiet down the brain and just meditate on what's really important. It's been it's been really working good so far here in January. Oh, that's great. I love that you mentioned that book because that's the perfect resource. You know, something along those lines where it is a very small section of reading that you can do each night. Or maybe you're making your way through a different kind of a, a spiritual book, or maybe you want to pray the prayers of the church. You want to, you want to pray nighttime prayers or, or read through or even uh, sing if you're musical, you know, a, a hymn. Uh, whether you do it on your own with your spouse or together as a family, having that spiritual element before you lie down and sleep is so important. It puts your mind into perspective. All those worries of the day that you might be tempted to carry with you into bed and lie awake worrying about, it puts it into perspective that God is in charge and it calls on us and reminds us to be placing our trust in Him. Well, Danielle, you know, recently I was looking at my iPhone and I'm thinking, you know, we, we charge the iPhone. The iPhone's got to be charged, uh, you know, fully in the morning. Well, we need to charge our mm-hmm. bodies as well. So I think that uh, the importance of, of sleeping, getting a good night's sleep, and obviously every person has different needs, you know, six, seven, eight hours, whatever. Uh, it, mm-hmm. You know, it's so important. People, I think, forget how important it is to, to have that battery charged uh, in the morning. Absolutely. Your, your good days start with a good night the night before. And you're so right to make that analogy with the phone, because think about it. If you're, if you're going to bed somewhere and you can't charge your phone, don't you have like a feeling of panic? Like, oh, wait a minute, how am I going to charge my phone? My phone won't be charged in the morning. Well, do you think the same way about the rest that you need to be charged for the next day? Actually, much more important than your phone getting charged. So making that a priority and, and you know, starting with small things, you know, look at your nighttime routine the way it is right now. And, and one or two things might stand out to you as, oh, that's probably not the best. Well, maybe replace a couple of those things with more positive habits, something quiet, something calming, something spiritually focused or connecting with someone you love or, um, you know, doing something that's meaningful for you or a, a routine where you're, you're drinking a cup of tea or, um, you know, reading even just a favorite book, even if it's just fiction that you like to read, can help to settle your mind and calm your body and prepare you for sleep. What about trying to go to bed uh, every night uh, at the same time? And it can be a challenge on the weekends when you don't have to be up as early. 
Absolutely. I know. And and so that's something to keep in mind, though, because studies do back that up. They show that when you are going to bed around the same time every every night, whether it's Friday or Saturday night or not, that um, that, that leads to a better night's sleep, that kind of regular routine. It leads to you being able to get up better in the mornings and feel better when you're getting out of bed in the morning. And don't we all want that? So, you know, looking for ways that you can be, be more disciplined about that. And it is a discipline, you know, for sure. That's something that I found through the years, especially when we were raising little kids and it was so tempting to stay up late and binge watch a television show or something. And doing things like that once in a while is perfectly okay. Nobody's saying you can't ever do something like that. But on the whole, your general life routine should be more aimed toward taking good care of yourself, starting with those basic physical needs, but not forgetting the spiritual ones as well. Okay, as a mom, uh, uh, have you ever taken naps? Oh, yes. That used to be a regular part of my routine. So, you know, when, when the baby, when you first have a baby, everyone tells you, you know, sleep when the baby sleeps. And I remember thinking, that was impossible. I just, I wanted to get everything done, you know, during the baby's nap time. And, and it's okay to get some things done during the baby's nap time. But for sure, there were years when I had older kids and younger kids. And the older kids could be left in charge of, you know, kind of the middle-aged kids while the littlest ones were sleeping. And I made a regular habit, especially if I was pregnant, um, even if I wasn't, to be taking a nap, at least lying down and having quiet time. And I know some families do that, even with older kids who aren't going to necessarily nap in the afternoon. They, they, have, they enforce quiet time. It means these are the hours where we sit and we read quietly on our own, and that gives you an opportunity to rest as well. Danielle, uh, final thoughts, about 30 seconds. Oh, I just want to encourage everybody, take care of yourself in this basic way. We know about feeding ourselves properly with good nutrition and getting exercise, but good sleep habits are something that often gets neglected in our society. And if nothing else, then put away your habit of using screens in that last hour before bedtime. Try it for a week. Try it for just a short period of time and see if you don't get a better night's sleep and feel better in the morning and be a better version of yourself for the day. And that was uh, my uplifting and informative conversation with Danielle Bean, the host of the Girlfriends podcast and the co-host of The Gist on Catholic TV. I want to bring in uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, uh, guys, uh, let's talk about routines. What's your routines? Well, when I think about bedtime routines, as an adult, mine's kind of boring. I, I think back to when my kids were little and how fun that was. We'd get that started early, maybe 7.30 for bath time, get the bathroom soaking wet, throwing the bath toys around, and then you'd start in with the stories. And, you know, the girls were in separate rooms, and you'd, you know, try to work a little harder on getting the younger one to sleep and then the older one to sleep. You know, you'd read the stories. Uh, you'd do some, you know, shadow puppet things. You'd you'd start some routines, and it, it, essentially it, it kept building and building. And granted, wise on their part to try to stay awake longer by you know, never forgetting something fun we did and keep adding it every night to the routine. And so I think gradually, you know, it was maybe nine o'clock before their eyes shut, but it sure was a lot of fun. <laughs> I kind of want to go to your house now. That shadow <laughs> puppets, that sounds amazing. No, there's there's no shadow puppets. I, my bedtime routine is I need to go to bed. So it's it's I'm trying to make it shorter and shorter because when my two oldest were little and we just had those two, I mean, it was a very long bedtime routine and we had this wonderful prayer time where we st- would have a litany of saints, pick out what saints you want, pray for us. And I had to start putting a cap because they just kept going and going. And too many, okay, all 
all you angels and saints. Okay, you can pick three saints because it was going forever. But, oh, man, the, the kid routines, they can be very fun. How about you, John? Totally relate. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh... Our routine, our, my guy now, he's a freshman in high school, so uh, he, he goes to bed uh, a little bit later than I do because I, 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 try, <laughs> I try to wind down uh, in the 8 o'clock hour, so, um, but sometimes don't succeed. Uh, so our routine has changed, but I, oh, those were great moments. I, I always used to say prayers together uh, by the side of the bed, and I always used to bless them with holy water and, and uh, maybe pray. Uh, uh, um, read a little something out of, uh, you know, Pajama Time or some of those uh, children's books that were so fun. And uh, yeah, those are, those are great times. But you know what? In the here and now, uh, I thought this this conversation with Danielle Bean was, was quite interesting, you know, about the importance of having a, a routine uh, for us, the grownups, the, the moms and dads, because uh, you know what? If, if, if you're going to f- fly with the eagles in the morning, you can't hoot with the owls in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't argue. I think uh, you know it's healthy to get enough sleep. Absolutely, but I think you know working mornings. There's no problem falling asleep when it's time to fall asleep. You know, and uh, you guys. What time do you go to bed, well. Glenn? What time uh, do you? You know, probably by ten thirty or so. You know, I think I, I generally operate maybe six and a half hours of sleep during the week, and then I get a few more hours on the weekend. So, so that's nice. But uh, you guys also touched on the the big N word naps. You know, and I think uh, late in the week, you know, uh, a nap uh, can can be a great help too. Oh man, you know, naps are a beautiful thing. And you know what? I think you start off, you're forced to take a nap, then you are rebelling against it for so long, and then at one point you just realize, why was I fighting this? This is amazing. I should be doing this every day. I am a convert. I'm a former night owl. <laughs> Remember, I worked in sports. I was in locker rooms at 11 o'clock at night uh, covering professional sports. So uh, it's been uh, quite an experience uh, getting up at 3.45 in the morning. So I uh, discovered the beauty of the power nap. Uh, th- there's a sweet spot. It can't be too long. And because it, obviously then you wake up and you feel terrible, but, uh, you know, maybe 20 minutes, a half hour, 40 minutes max, uh, we'll, we'll do it to, to recharge the, the battery. Uh, so it, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Well, God does have that sense of humor taking us nighttime folks and making us work in the morning. I've worked in the morning for over 30 years, but right out of college, working top 40 nighttime radio, you know, the show is seven to midnight. You're wide awake when you're done. You may be falling asleep by three and, you know, single person waking up about 11, 11.30. It's like, this is not bad. My body likes this. Of course, regular life a little easier if you're working in the daytime. But folks, listen, this time of day, you know, we've got folks with all kinds of hours out there. So uh, radio announcers aren't the only ones getting up early. Absolutely. Uh, I, I know uh, some TV people, I get up at uh, 2 in the morning. So, you know, I, I count my blessings. You know, people ask me, how do you do it? How do you... Drew Mariani has asked me, how do you get up at 3.45 every morning? I say, it's the grace of God. The joke is the grace of God doesn't work on the weekends, though. <laughs> so I sleep in on Saturdays and Sundays. All right, guys, we got to wrap it up. Um, and that uh, means we have to take a, a short break. But when we uh, come back, uh, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg is going to take a look at this Sunday's gospel as we look ahead. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come on this uh, Friday, this first Friday edition of Morning Air. We'll be right back after a short timeout. Say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I make room for you to do the things you do when I say yes. So I say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And 
welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. A gospel reading for this fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time comes from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. And now time to dive in further into that gospel reading for this Sunday, the fifth Sunday at Ordinary Time out of Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16 from the Sermon on the Mount. We take a, a look and a listen as well today with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Bishop Muggenberg, always great to have you along. And great to be here, Glenn. Well, we talk about uh, more than just warm fuzzies from some of these, but actually our Lord uh, not only inviting, but instructing and commanding us to action. Yes, that's very true. And it's important to point that out, especially following the Beatitudes of last week. Because one of the great, I think, errors that we fall into is when people think that the Beatitudes are really beautiful attitudes that only affect us and our own peace of mind. Whenever we believe that, then we reduce our faith experience to just a personal or private experience of faith. And Jesus wants to remind us that his disciples, we are to be loving in the world. We are to affect the world around us and have a practical impact on the world around us. And today's images of salt and light really emphasize the effect that Christians should be having on the world around them. So their faith doesn't remain private and personal being salt and being light. And Bishop Muggenberg, maybe starting with a little history lesson, we might think of salt as something we add to the, the little container of French fries, but uh, it meant quite a lot in Bible time. It did. You know, in today's world, salt is such a cheap commodity, to be honest, that we even put it on our roadways during the wintertime, you know, scattering it out to melt the ice. Um, but salt in the ancient world was very expensive. Uh, it was rare and difficult to come by. Uh, they they really didn't have the kind of salt mines that we do in our, in our current um, contemporary society. And so for them to have salt you know, was was not priceless, but it was a very expensive um, and very treasured commodity. Even uh, as example, our English word salary actually comes from the word for salt, implying that people could even be paid by salt for their wages. And that gives us an idea of just how valuable salt was. So when Jesus is telling the disciples, you know, you are the salt of the world, salt of the earth, he wasn't just speaking about their value, but also their effect. Because salt both preserves, you know, it preserves dairy products, preserves meats, um, even preserves vegetables. Um, and salt brings out flavor also, and it purifies. So salt has an effect that is salutary in the world around it. Some great analogies uh, with salt uh, from our reading 
this weekend, but one of those uses of salt, too, is a, a preservative, and preserving good things is a good thing for us to do today. Absolutely, preserving from corruption. And uh, it used to be part of um, our ancient baptismal rites that we would even use salt as part of that, emphasizing the preservatory power of baptism, you know, to preserve us from the corruption of sin. Um, and uh, and so the, the image of salt has a lot of different applications to it. And Jesus doesn't exactly specify which of those applications he is wanting to emphasize. And I think that gives us a lot of great room to explore how the Holy Spirit may be wanting us to experience being salt today in a wide variety of different ways. One of the uses of salt, in addition to being a preservative, was uh, as, a, as a catalyst to make a fire burn more quickly. Yes, that's true. And we find that in some of the writings of the early church fathers um, who speak about the use of salt uh, being mixed with materials, even like dung. And the salt would serve as a catalyst that basically had three purposes or three effects. The first is that it allowed the fire to catch more quickly. The second is that it um, allowed the fire to burn more intensely. And the third is that it kept the fire burning longer. And so that effect of salt is something that I find very intriguing in terms of our role as disciples, you know, that we are to be catalysts in the world around us who allow other people to catch the fire of faith. You know, and we become the actual means by which they catch that fire of faith more quickly. We help it burn more intensely in their lives and that we actively help them maintain that fire burning on an ongoing way. Um, and so uh, I find that that image to be a very profound one. And again, we actually receive it from the early fathers of the church. Well, Bishop Muggenberg, uh, fire makes a great segue <laughs> here as we go from salt into our Lord's instruction for us to be light. Now, that image of light um, I find very fascinating for a couple of reasons. One is because we're also going to see that surfacing in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Um, and there's, there's an important and necessary interplay between light and sight. You see, we all may have the gift of sight um, and the capacity to see, but if we don't have light, then we really aren't able to exercise that capacity. I mean, if you're in a room that is absolute, total darkness, you can't see anything. Even though you have the ability for sight, you can't see. And so by Jesus telling the disciples that you are the light of the world, what he's saying is that you are the ones who will help people see clearly. See clearly who God is and who they are as human beings. Now, that's a really important function for us as disciples because we live in a world that tremendously misunderstands who God is and who human beings are. And so we need to be light, shedding light on these fundamental truths um, so that people can make the right choices and the right decisions both for God and for themselves. And remembering that idea as light, not just to call attention to ourselves, but to be useful light to illuminate for others. Very true. You know, Jesus is really clear that when disciples make this difference in the world as salt and light, that we always do so in a way that points to the Father and gives credit to God so that others don't praise us for our actions, but rather they praise God who has inspired us and worked through us. And they recognize because we have clearly identified that God is the source of all our good works. 
Also, as we uh, think of these dark times for so many that we're living through, times of strife and war and pandemic and all of that, to be a light right now, in some sense, is easier in terms of you, you really stand out, but more, more needed than ever if no one has a match or a flashlight. And that is absolutely true in the church's history. You know, during some of the most dark times, we had some of the greatest saints. Uh, you think of people like Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic and St. Catherine of Siena, and, and just go on down the line. But when the world needed it the most, um, the, the, the greatest examples of holiness responded to God's grace and became those shining lights. And because the world was so dark in these moments and even our darkness today that we experience, those lights stand out more brightly than ever. And so this is a wonderful moment for us as disciples to be light and, and to let Christ's light shine in a very vocal and a very proactive way in the midst of our society. Well, Bishop Muggenberg, thank you so much for shedding some good light on our gospel reading for this Sunday, the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. If you'd be so kind as to wrap us up today with your blessing. The Lord be with you, and may the blessing of Almighty God, who calls us and equips us to be salt and light in the world, leading others to praise Him, always fill us with eagerness, zeal, and generosity to carry out our mission as disciples. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called, So This Happened in Montana, from Sunny Skies. So this happened in Montana. I'm on my way to go to my interview this morning when I get pulled over by a police officer. I'm a Native American, and my friend that was with me is black. Just saying, both brake lights decided to go out at this time. As he walked to the car, I was pulling out my stuff. He quickly said, don't worry about pulling anything out. I just wanted to let you know your brake lights are out. So I'm immediately upset because I just got them replaced like last month. So I explained to him how Firestone wants to charge me $600 just to run a test on the wiring of the car. He looked at me like, yikes, and told me to pop the trunk. He checked the lights in the trunk and tapped them. They didn't come on. So he told me to pop the hood and check the relay box, then asked me to get out and check the other light. Then he worked on the wiring under the dash. He could have easily given me a ticket, but Officer Jenkins stepped out of the officer role and into the mechanic role and human role to make sure that I was straight. By the way, he fixed them. Not everyone is racist or a bad cop. Luke 10, 33 and 34, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. As always, uh, thanks so much, Glenn. And of course, you can download any of Glenn's Story Corners or any of our morning air conversations uh, that you might want to listen to. Again, just go to relevantradio.com or you can do it on our mobile app as well. Go to Shows on Demand and then just download our podcast. Now, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, attorney and public speaker on religious freedom, Mary Helen Fiorito will join us to talk about black pro-life heroes. And Mario Costabile, 
the founder and executive director of Array of Hope, will be with us live in studio to talk about his ministry, Array of Hope, which was a featured music band for the recent One Life LA. He'll tell us all about it. So stay with us. There's much more to come in the final hour of this Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.